The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Talk is Jericho. It's the pod of thunder and rock and roll. And congratulations to today's guest, Stevie Ray, one half of the Harlem Heat tag team with his brother Booker T. Talk is Jericho alumni. They were just inducted into the 2019 WWE Hall of Fame. Stevie Ray is going to break down the Hall of Fame story for us and share what that day was really like behind the scenes. He's also telling the story of the Harlem Heat, how he and Booker T started in the business, what inspired the Harlem Heat gimmick, what brought them to WCW, and what it was like to work with Steiners, Nasty Boys, Hall and Nash, Public Enemy, so many of the uh, greats from the 90s. Stevie Ray is also explaining why he didn't go to WWE after Vince bought WCW and what he thinks caused WCW's downfall. So Stevie Ray, one half of the legendary and now Hall of Fame tag team, Harlem Heat coming up. All right, so I'm uh, talking to Stevie Ray, who is now one of the newest members of the WWE Hall of Fame. So, do I have to call you sir now or something like that, or how does it work? I think uh, you've never called me sir. Don't so don't. <laughs> no, that's exciting stuff, though, man. I mean, was it a surprise to you? How, how did you, how did you find out? Well, you know, they gave me a call one day when uh, I thought they was actually calling to tell me that my uh, they weren't going to renew my Legends deal. So I was kind of like, you know, <laughs> the last few checks, you know, this last year, the checks ain't been worth the crap anyway. So I was like, right. okay, you know, let me let me get ready to tell him. I'm sorry, man. <laughs> <laughs> tell him, you know, whatever the hell ever, you know. Mm-hmm. And oh, Mark Carano, then he was like, man, are you okay? I said, yeah, I'm okay. Why? And he was like, well, you sound kind of, I don't know, perturbed or something like that. No, I'm good, brother. What do you want? And he was like, well, I'm just calling to tell you you in the WWE Hall of Fame. (laughs) 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 Then I couldn't say anything, man. So, you know, my emotion went from, you know, kind of aggressive to like, I, I couldn't say anything. I was speechless, brother. He was like, uh, are you there? Uh, hello, are you there? So that's how it happened, bro. That's <laughs> so great. I, I know that happens sometimes when guys are scared to answer the phone because they think they're gonna get fired or something along those lines. <laughs> so, so, I mean, and, and was it something that surprised you? I mean, it's obviously Harlem Heat is a, is a Hall of Fame worthy team, but you guys do the majority of your work, actually, all your work in WCW. Yeah, man. I mean, in a way, yeah, because you've seen other people that you know didn't really. Uh, that most of their careers were in, uh, uh, like Diamond, like Diamond Dallas Page, and like um, mm. Sting, and some of the other guys, you know, that had you know very small stints up there. So it was like, in a way, no, but in a way, yes, because you know I've been getting getting that for quite some time from the fans, you know, right. And I'm gonna hit me up and go, you know, uh, Harlem he should be in the Hall of Fame, and blah blah blah. And you know, kind of, I'm the kind of person I don't really sweat that kind of stuff, man. But you know, it was good to hear from the fans because, like, I was to myself, I was like, well, you know, as far as I'm concerned, man, you know how to be recognized in the Hall of Fame. As long as the fans still know me and appreciated the residual of what we did, man, I'm I'm cool with that, man. You know, so I never, I never really walked around with that on my shoulders, thinking, oh man, I should be in the Hall of Fame, you know, whatever, sure. man. So, but it's a great honor, bro. Is it cool for you from a family level to be up there with your little brother and all the stuff that you guys went through as kids and now here you are in the Hall of Fame? It must have been kind of special to share that with each other. Yeah, it's crazy like that, man. And most definitely, man, you know, just to share that and, 
you know, and your family being involved in it, you know, yeah, very special. How, why was it that you uh, didn't ever go to WWE when, when WCW ended? Had you pretty much retired at that point? I can't remember what was going on. No, I was still wrestling, man. I was just going back and forth overseas. And uh, I was just pretty much done with the bureaucracy, bureaucracy of uh, and the politics of professional wrestling, man. I was really, really uh, just wore out on some of the uh, people around mm-hmm. professional wrestling, you know, that I just couldn't deal with anymore. And I was t- my and my daughter was getting bigger at the time. My daughter was like uh, like seven years old, and I wanted to be around my home more. And I just told my brother, man, uh, even that last night, I'll be honest with you, Chris. I've never discussed this with. Uh, I don't know if I've ever discussed this with anyone. Hmm. You might be the first. I, I can't remember. You remember the last night when WWE was coming down to take over our show? Sure, in uh, pa- Panama City, right? In Panama City. Yeah. Um, I told my my friends, I told my brother, I'm not going. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to that because I don't want to be a part of. Uh, it was almost like I'm kind of like a history buff. And it's almost like when the uh, Germans or the Japanese or the uh, Italians and, you know, everybody in World War II, you got to submit mm-hmm. to the Allies, you know? Right. You got to submit to the Allies in this war, you know what I'm saying? And I know what we've done has been, you know, you've been battling, battling, battling. You've been a part of something that was great, man. And now you, t- somebody's just telling you, you're done and we're just taking over and you're not anything anymore. And I didn't want to, I didn't want to feel that. Mm-hmm. I'm like a soldier. I'm like, I, I'm, I feel like I'm a soldier, bro. Hmm. And I'm I'm going down with the ship. So I was like, I'm not going to be a part of it. And I took that the ticket that they sent to me. And I took it over to Continental Airlines. And I turned the ticket into two tickets. And, and uh, man, a buddy of mine, we went out to uh, <laughs> Vegas to watch the Lennox Lewis and Evander Holyfield heavyweight fight. Oh, so you didn't even go to the last, uh, the last no. Nitro? That was it? I, I spent the weekend in Vegas. <laughs> that's funny too for for people that are in the business now you used, you used to actually get paper tickets like you said that you could go cash in to use yeah, you in other ways yeah, <laughs> yeah you get your stack of tickets <laughs> you remember those I had a friend that worked at Continental Airlines and they had a, like a little office not not too far from where I lived you know what I'm saying mm-hmm. and I would go in there and she would take care of them for me man and that's what I did and I, I called my uh girl I was dating at the time who lived in Phoenix, Arizona. And I was like, Hey, you want to meet me in, uh, want to meet me in Vegas? He's you know sick. <laughs> we all hung out in Vegas for the weekend, man. So I just couldn't deal with it. And I also was like, told my brother, Hey man, go do your thing. Uh, I, I can't do this anymore. Not like this. And I was like, you know, frankly, I didn't want to, to be honest with you, Chris, I didn't want Harlem Heat to turn into something that it wasn't. I wanted people to remember Harlem Heat. Like the video film that they showed before our speech, that is how I wanted people to remember us. Hmm. I didn't want to turn into something that was funny, uh, something that was humorous, or something that I didn't agree with because I know I would have blew a head gasket. And uh, that was one thing that I never wanted people to See Harlem Heat is not two guys from the streets that's here to kick ass, bro. I didn't, I couldn't deal with anything else. You know, it's interesting because you, you kind of knew it was going to happen because everybody that goes into yeah. the WWE system has to go right. through the Vince boot camp, so right. to speak, right? Right, right, right. You know, and and I think because if I'm thinking for guys that had longevity, the fact that you basically worked your whole career, I know you did some stuff beforehand, but your whole career just in WCW, besides when Sting came back for the one WrestleMania match, I think you and Sting were like the, the two stalwarts from WCW that, that worked there and basically nowhere else. Yeah, I guess you're right. You know, I guess you're right. And uh, and like I in in that in saying all of that, you know, I bear no ill will to... Uh, of course. Yeah. Uh, WWE or anything like that. This was just a personal thing. And I felt as though we built Harlem Heat from the ground up. You know what I'm saying? It was mm-hmm. not our whole creation. Everything about it was our creation. We got no help from the office with that whole look, the optics, the attitudes, all of it. You know how it was back then, man. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
I never wanted to put that in someone else's hands, you know what I'm saying, creatively. And uh, it was what it was, you know what I'm saying? And uh, and like I told my brother, I told him, hey, man, go do your thing. Hope it works out for you and this, that, and the other. And then a few years later, you know, they were talking to me through him. And I still couldn't do it. I still mm-hmm. couldn't bring myself to I remember me and uh, Chris Benoit was talking one day, a uh, good friend of you and I. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we, I came down to one of the shows here in town. He's like, man, I hear you might be coming in. Chris was like, man, you know, what's the deal? And I was like, dog, I can't do it. I can't do it, bro. I don't want to be on the road anymore. And they, my brother was saying, what if they put you on a limited schedule? And I said, I know that's how it starts. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> but there's always more. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But, but, but I was enjoying life and, you know, I had my business here in town, you know, and, you know, spending a lot of time with my daughter. I would go out every, you know, weekend or not every weekend, but, you know, once or twice a month and work indies. As long as it was in a drive, I wouldn't take indies where I had to fly. If I could drive one between Louisiana and Texas, uh, you know, it was, I was cool, you know, just to still you know, do stuff in the ring and not be, you know, killing myself and things like that. So I really enjoyed it, man. Did you guys come into WCW together as Harlem Heat? Well, actually, we came from Global. Mm-hmm. We had spent the last few years in Global. And uh, we were Booker T and Stevie Ray, but we were called the Ebony Experience. We were a babyface tag team then. And uh, all that got inverted when we got to uh, WCW. So they, they changed your name and, and turned you heel? Yes. Did, did you uh, did you come up with the name, or who came up with the name Harlem Heat? Actually, they were throwing around names. Uh, actually, me and my brother were just having this conversation <laughs> with somebody the other day when we was at the uh, WrestleMania weekend. And I remember a lot of names were thrown out, and we – I know Sid Vicious said something about, why not call him Harlem Heat or something like that? And we was like, yeah, because we are from – we say that we're from 110th Street Harlem, blah, blah, blah. If we, I mean, I think Houston Heat came up, Chicago Heat came up, and um, another one that my brother remembers that I don't remember. I can't remember what he said. Now it was, it was something like oh. Long Long Beach Heat. You know what I'm saying? Something. <laughs> <down there. laughs> you got the Southern Some California the ghetto there. <laughs> Some of the stuff was beyond stupid, man. You know, and but uh, hey, man, it worked out, man. You know, it worked out, and here it is. You know, the crescendo of everything, the Hall of Fame. And, hey, man, it we gave what we could give to the business, man. And that's all you can ask for. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. What do they What do they say to you like at the actual Hall of Fame? Is there rules? Are you backstage talking to Vince? Like, how does that day kind of go for you? Well, I, you know, I don't know if you've ever talked. With, I don't know, you know, anybody about that. But I'll tell you this: you know, every, Vince is very meticulous when it comes to uh, everything that's going down. And he's got this one writer who's just hounding my ass about what am I going to say on the speech? But I need to take this to Vince and this, that, and the other. I'm like, and then he, I'm at, I'm in ca- little catering for the. Uh, Hall of Fame thing they had a little catering area for us, and I just had to tell him, "Look, dog, I don't work like that, bro." <laughs> Holy shit, get off my ass, man! Please. And now I don't you, work like that, man. You realize uh, that you made the right decision because that's Vince's world. Everything is very much like you said, meticulously uh, monitored by by him and by his staff. And I understand that, you know. But like I told him, ain't nothing changed from the last time I was here. Mm-hmm. This is the way I do speeches. I don't write speeches out and remember them word for word. I don't do that. 
I mean, I ain't got nothing against people that do do that. And I don't read a teleprompter. I don't do that. You know, I talk to people all the time, brother. I'm used to it. So just give me a microphone and I'm a rocket. Right. So, you know, the speech is in my head. You know what I'm saying? And I told him some of the, I told him as much as I could and, you know, take that to Vince and maybe, you you know, you get off the hook. These guys are so on pins and needles, bro. I'm not used to that, Chris. Mm -hmm. I ain't never been around that before, bro. I mean, that's one of the things that's definitely changed since since we started, where it was very much just go out there and wing it. I remember I used to ask Bischoff and WCW, hey, can I have a little promo before the match? He'd say, yeah, just keep it short. But no one knew what you were going to say, and everyone was trusted to to be a professional and, and, and you know basically work your gimmick the way that you know how to do it. Right, right. And now nowadays, man, I mean, everything. Well, you can see it on the show. I mean, like I said, that's just the way they do stuff, but um that's not the way i do stuff you know when you started in wcw was that like nine early 90s 93 94 93 i think so tell us what it was like i mean when wcw you know you came in as a little bit on a downswing and then the whole nwo happens and it becomes the hottest company in the world was that a big difference for you as a performer to see that you know what man i think things were Things were picking up way better. The NWO thing put us over the top. But WCW, and that's one thing I'm proud of, that and I tell people that I'm proud of, that Harlem Heat was a part of the resurgence of tag team wrestling, which made a resurgence for WCW. Mm-hmm. If you see, if you, if you uh, understand exactly what I'm saying at that time, because tag team wrestling had pretty much died. And I think because of our persona, it kind of like, uh, opened up again, then the Steiner brothers got hot again, then the Nasty Boys came down and got hot, you know, and things like that. And we could build those rivalries and stuff like that that they hadn't seen in years, seen them in years. So that was the wave I was riding. And the NWO thing, you know, that thing, you know, you tripped over. And you know, I, I would never agree with somebody coming up with the idea that that was going to just blow up like it did. I mean, it blew up, and I don't think they were able to corral it. You know what I'm saying? It was like letting the uh, genie out of the bottle, mm-hmm. you know? And and I think in a lot of ways, the NWO thing was great, but I think in a lot of other ways, because of everybody, you know, pretty much doing their own gimmicks when they wanted to do it, it was a very big detriment to the to the country, company, rather. Mm-hmm. I, I like what you just said there and expand upon everyone, because basically everyone did, like, you know, for example, WWE, you know that Vince is the boss. In WCW, there were so many bosses, and there was everyone right. basically doing their own thing. It was hard. Right. And I think that was a detriment to us in a lot of ways because I think a lot of people that were, you know, had talent and was giving to the business and giving to the company in a lot of ways got alienated or their gimmicks got stagnated because everything was just a focus over here. And that's why, why I say so many people were doing things for their own gimmicks, but they weren't doing things for the company. They weren't doing things for the company, the betterment of the company. The betterment of the company, you got to use everybody that's viable to the company. And that was one some, one thing I never agreed, agreed with. You know, I'm a team player. I just sit back and watch. But I was like, this is, you know, kind of like backyard wrestling at the same time, you know? Mm-hmm. And, you know what I'm saying, or a small, a small promotion where, you know, hey, I want to do this. Well, no, I want to do this. And, or I don't like this guy, so I don't want him doing that. And blah, blah. And, you know, and I... I've talked on that many times, and I want to apologize for it. It was bullcrap, man, because uh, you're playing with somebody else's money, you're playing with somebody else's gimmick, and Lord knows what else you're doing, man, because it's not for the betterment of the show. It's people betterment of certain people's careers, and I think that was a detriment to us, and I'll stand on that. It's interesting, too, because there's a lot of – whenever I think about you, I think about we had, we had a, a very short angle that, that started and stopped with no real purpose. And they had a lot of that going on. You remember when we had our match and then Big Show <laughs> came down and we're like, why is Big Show coming down? I was like, oh, just do it. You know? <laughs> like, what? Okay. <laughs> I remember we talking about that at your concert that night, man. I was like, I, I'm going to tell you something, Chris. I actually had forgotten about that. <laughs> I'll, I'll explain it for people that might not remember. So, so you were the TV champion. And we were having a match, I think like in Rapid City, South Dakota or something. And you were going to drop the title to me. And the finish was Big Show comes down 
and I think maybe choke slams you or something, and I cover you and get the pin. And we were like, okay, well, why is Big Show coming down? He wasn't related to me. He wasn't doing anything with you. They just said, I don't know. We'll figure it out later. <laughs> oh, my God. I remember we looked at each other like, oh, okay. You know? <laughs> well, that's, at that point in time, I think both of us had the same attitude. Just like, all right, whatever. If that's what you want us to do, that's what we'll do. <laughs> oh my god talk about senseless you know right did you have other examples of things like that happening at that time or anytime in WCW? i'm like i remember that and i'm like uh i could have easily put you over without the big show coming down there you know what i'm saying For sure easily did that you know what i'm saying and and something where you know i'm pissed off and then you run out of the ring and I'm like, oh, no, I lost the belt, and my brother is going to be pissed off at me. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> we could have easily did something like that that was way more, you know, had some had something behind it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, more of a, a story that actually made sense. Right. <laughs> and then we could have ran with it like, hey, I got it. I've, I've got to do something to get that title back before my brother comes back. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> yeah, no dice. Oh, my God, man. I mean, I, that was just me. You know, I'm like, I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, my brother's going to come back, and I don't have the title, and Chris Jericho's got the title. I got to do something to get the title back. You know what I'm saying? So, I don't know, bro. When, I don't know. when you think about, about the, you mentioned some of the teams that you worked with, who were some of your favorites to work? I mean, how was it working with the Steiners? Because at that point in time, those oh, guys. Man, you know. Think about it, Chris, man. We worked with those guys so much back in the day, man. We had a Z and you know, we had Z and house shows back in those days. And a lot of that stuff started before the Nitros and Thunders and all that kind of stuff. So, man, we was on the road all the time. So the house shows were great, and working with those guys were great. Steiners were great. Uh, Marcus Bagwell and his multiple partners were great. Uh, yeah, man, it was just like uh, – now, i tell you one team that we – I don't know. We had people used to always go, hey, man, the match was good. But me and my brother just never felt the chemistry with uh, Bunkhouse Buck and Dick Slater. But we had good matches. You know what I'm saying? You you ever work with somebody, you don't feel it, but everybody else see it different than you do. Yeah, well, you feel like it could have clicked better, but it, it just right. didn't. Right, right, right. But, right, it was, like, it was like that, but we you know we made the best of it. But um, what I didn't like... And uh, you know, and I will go on record and say this because these two, these, these two guys are two of my best friends in the business. God rest uh, both of their souls. Was Johnny Grunge and Rocco Watt. Hmm. We did not like working with them at all. And me and me and Rocco used to hang out a lot together. I have nothing against either one of them, but you're coming from ECW with this things that y'all do in ECW, and the great brains of WCW see this and think it's going to enhance. What we're doing, I've never agreed with taking what somebody else does from another organization. Then you bring it into yours and you push it. Then you, what are you saying to your own organization? Then, you, for some concerned, you're saying you're inept as far as the person running an organization because if you have to rely on these guys, then maybe that's where you need to be. So you just didn't have any chemistry with them as, as performers? No, first of all, I mean, it didn't even come down to chemistry. They're not at our level. Gotcha. They're not at our level. So you don't bring them in to be at our level. You don't use us to enhance them. You use them to enhance us. Hmm. We're the ones that laid down the foundation in this company. Yeah, that, that makes you would, never see, you would never see Vince McMahon doing something like that. Well, yeah, when they came in, I think they got the crap picked, kicked out of them by the guys. Okay, so what are you saying? So what are they saying, brother? You see what I'm? You see my point? Mm-hmm. And like I said, this is not anything personal. I'm just talking about business right here. Right, 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 right. I never agreed with that. We don't do ladders and chairs, that kind of bull crap. And if we do. We do it on a level that these guys can't do it at because that's what they need to get over because they're not the athletes that we are. You don't take two guys that's not the athletes as we are and then make them as good as the athletes we are. That's bullshit. The thing is, too, about it is is that, I mean, once again, you mentioned you came and saw Fozzie in Houston, and I always forget until you see guys just how big – some guys are like I saw Hall and Nash a couple months ago. It was the same thing. And, and for yourself, I mean, when you, when you worked with those guys, if you didn't want to do something, you're probably the, the, the biggest guy in the company take, you know, with the exception of, of Nash and giant. So you could basically maneuver around it and do whatever the hell you wanted. I would have guessed. Yeah, possibly, but it was about just having, we couldn't do the kind of matches we used to with these guys. We just can't, mm-hmm. we can't keep up. If you know what I'm saying? And like I said, this is nothing demonstrative toward oh, nobody. Gotcha. 
something like that. This is just, we don't click. Put these guys out there with someone else, you know, because if you want to push them, don't push them with us. We're tag team champions, man. We're not, we're not here to enhance the ECW brand. And mm. WCW, that's what they were doing. And then I look up, they're putting Mike Awesome over on my brother, which pissed me off even more, you know. I ain't got nothing against this punk, but uh, these guys ain't put their dudes in yet, bro. And now we got to put them over because you're thinking that's going to make our show better. It didn't make our show better. It made it worse. WCW was just doing very fine before they started bringing in all the ECW. And I got nothing against the ECW guy, but they seems as though you make them work their way up just like we had to work our way up when we first came in. Mm-hmm. When we first came in, we wasn't a Harlem Heat that we can't turned into. We had to work our way up and earn our keep. But, you know, that's some of the, one of the WCW, you know, maniacal thinking that, you know, I just never agreed with. When you first came in, who were you working with that kind of helped you learn and, and uh, write? We worked, with a, we worked with a zillion people. I can't even remember them. I can't even remember. <laughs> was there somebody that helped you more than others? The Steamboat or someone like that or anybody along those lines? I mean, you know, I mean, Paul Arndorf used to always work with us behind the scenes, you know, mm-hmm. and help us out a whole lot. And uh, Arn Anderson also worked with us behind the scenes, you know, just trying to, you know, just trying to uh, turn into better a better team. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But you know, we, we wasn't going over on people. We were having good matches and stuff like that, but we wasn't going. They were putting everybody over on us. But it was cool. You know, we tried to... Uh, we're just trying to survive the uh, onslaught, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Which most major organizations did back in those days. You just didn't come in on top because you looked apart, you know? The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Let's talk a little about Globally. You mentioned he came from that. This is funny because in, in, I think, 1990 or 91, I sent a tape and a picture to Global. It was Bill Eady was the booker. And uh, he was like, oh, you know, we're not hiring anybody from Canada right now. But... <laughs> It seemed like it had a little bit of steam, but it didn't really last very long, did it? Well, Global was on for a minute, you know, which was the old world-class championship wrestling, you know. That's basically what it was. Oh, and, they had, okay. and they had a contract with the ESPN where uh, they were doing all the tapings for ESPN. And and there was a lot of lot of people there, man, a lot of veterans there, brother. You know, we really got groomed in, as baby faces, man. And we could have took that same babyface run to WCW, you know, because we were hot, man. I mean, we were, we were hot, man, in global. We were the hottest thing in global. You know, global was about to die before me and my brother got there. This is no lie. Hmm. Nobody in the audience until me and my brother got there. And the next thing you know, they were selling the damn place out every week within a month. That's a true story. And so who, who was down there when you were working there? Oh my God. Black Bart, Johnny Mantell, Manny Fernandez, uh, Killer Tim Brooks, um, Rod Price, oh my God, Alex Parto, oh my God, boy, it was Al Perez, a Latin heartthrob. Oh man, we had we we had a lot of people, man. We had a lot of good uh, Iceman King Parsons and uh, his partner. I oh, mean Perry. Uh, what was Perry's last name? Saturn. Uh, no, not Saturn. Not Saturn. <laughs> Uh, Perry Williams, something like that. He's a brother. He's a big brother. Gotcha, um, gotcha. But, uh, you know, I mean, we had a lot of tag um, teams. I mean, we were, you know what I'm saying? It was just tag team after tag team that we were running through, and you look like all this bleak, and the Harlem Heat would do something at the end to win the game. You know, we was like the New England Patriots. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> You know, to keep the belt and the fans went nuts because that's what a babyface tag team did, you know? Right, right, right. And, uh, and, brother, we had a lot of fun with it, man, and that's what got us on the map, bro. Did you uh, grow up uh, a wrestling fan? Yeah, big, big, big time, bro, yeah. So you would watch World Class? Yeah, I mean, we watched it. Back in those days, man, in the 80s, man, 
it was so many different wrestling organizations that came on television, man. But you know, the end. The, the, my favorite wrestling was uh, NWA wrestling or either Mid South. Hmm. You know, so it was, it was just that was a magical time, man, for me as a fan. My brother also, but uh, me as a fan, that was a magical time, bro. Your brother is, uh, you know, his his childhood exploits, and you know, he spent time in jail and all that other stuff. Did you have that issue too, or were you too busy trying to keep him straight? Well, you know, the situation with my brother was just one of those unfortunate situations. You know, it could have could have happened to anyone mm-hmm. if he's running with the wrong crowd. It's not the fact that somebody is a perpetual, you know, criminal or something of that nature. It's just the fact that you know you're running with the wrong crowd and you got caught up in the wrong situation. That's what his situation was. It's not, it's not that he was some, you know guy going around robbing people every day and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. It was so I think a lot of people get the wrong outlook on it when they hear about someone being uh caught up in a situation and locked up. But uh no, he, we were not I'm not from a criminal background at all. Just one of those things, man, at the time. Was it hard for you to see your brother go through that? Yes. Very hard. Yeah, well, it seems like did did you, you know, whenever we talked like he talked about on the Hall of Fame, whenever we talked you know, what did we talk about? I always tell him about what's going on on professional wrestling. Oh. <laughs> so when did you get it in your minds that you guys could actually give this a try and do it? I was like, hey, man, I'm going to try uh, to go to this wrestling school, man. Uh, you know, he was kind of reluctant, you know, because the wrestling school was like $3,500, you know. Right. Back then. And he was like, uh, I don't know, man. That's a lot of money and blah, blah, blah. And uh, we kind of got into it over that. But then he came around and, you know, we went to the wrestling school. So in essence, you know, we wouldn't, I just want to try it, you know, cause I'm the kind of person I would want, you know, I want to try bodybuilding. I tried that. And this was the next, you know, progression. Oh, wrestling. Okay. I'll try that. You mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so that's, you know, I never thought about, you know, the business taking me anywhere, nothing like that. I just wanted to try it at a local level, man. You know, I was just excited about that. But, um, you know, fortunately, you know, one thing led to another. And here I am talking to you on the phone uh, about, a, you know, the Hall of Fame this past weekend. So, you know, 30 years later, 30 years later, that's what we're discussing. Who did you uh, who did you train with? Well, like, uh, I went to Ivan Pusky opened up a school. But our main trainer was our Cowboy Scott Casey, who not only main trainer, but our main mentor. And he, he he's the one that kind of like groomed us to, uh, you know, mentally more than anything to uh, what this business and gave us, you know, the, the insight on what this business is really all about and what it's exactly going to be all about for an African-American in the game. And he didn't hold no punches. And I'm I'm forever grateful to him for that. So did you pick it up pretty quickly? Did you find it tough at, start, at the start? I mean, as good as we could, because back in those days, man, you – you went to train for like 90 days and that was it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, me too. You know what I'm saying? Back in those days, it wasn't nothing but a workout your money gimmick. You know what I'm saying? Right, so, right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I was like, uh, but also, you know, we started working with Tiger Conway Jr. and uh, and Tugboat Taylor and, and around those guys. And I think we got more uh, uh, tutelage from those guys than than, you know, the physical tutelage. I think we got more mental tutelage from uh, Scott Casey, but I think we got more physical tutelage from us, those guys on the north side, which was Tiger Tanway and Tug Taylor and all those guys over there. And that's kind of what it's all about, too, is learning more the mental side of things than the physical, right? Yeah. L- learning yeah. the psychology of wrestling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, yeah, it was back then because back in those days, you had to think on your feet a whole lot. Whereas today, you know, they just write it all out for you and just go out and do a spot match. And uh, that's the difference between yesterday and today. So, you know, it's been matches where, shit, I didn't even know the guy. You know, we went out and whoever got the most experience, they the one kind of like called a match. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Sure. Right, right, right. <laughs> and you just kind of like go with it and see, you know, what let the chips fall what they may, you know? Yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. Did you guys um, work a lot with the Nasty Boys? Yeah. How was it working with them? Because those guys are just pure, just brawlers. Were they were they good to work with? We had some of my best matches with the Nasty Boys. Hmm. Cool. I, I, I remember, you know, we to this day, you know, we are we're, we're always in Steiner Brothers, Harlem Heat, 
and the National Balls will always be linked at the hip, you know, because that was the uh, three-headed rivalry right there. The belts were either on one of those three teams for like three, four years in a row. Mm-hmm. And, um, oh, yeah, the National Balls, the thing is, once you learn their styles, it's, they're very easy to deal with, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I, we had, I think we had one disagreement back in those days. I think we had one big disagreement, one big almost broke out into a big fight. What happens? Sags and my brother were having some something inner inner ring type thing. And you know, I can't even really remember exactly what went down. Right. I just remember after the match we all was like, Okay, it's on. I don't know you. You know what I'm saying? Right. <laughs> but but it's about to go down, you know what I'm saying? And then I remember Arn Anderson kind of got in between everything and and we talked it all out. And, you know, after that, it was smooth sailing. And what about, what about Hall and Nash? Did you work a lot with them? We worked with them on the road. That shows you the inevitability of uh, WCW. You know, they didn't even want those guys to work with us, but they want us to drop the straps to them at Halloween Havoc. And, okay, we're just going to put a match together and just go out there and do it. We never worked with them before. Right. So they had to tell Eric, hey, man, we want to work with these guys. We got to, you know, get something together. And they told us this. And I'm like, how dumb is that, bro? You know, how how dumb is that? So I don't get it, brother. But, you know, but in Halloween Habit, we went out and had a, had a very good match. And But we had worked on the, and the house shows together for the belts, you know, every night. And they put us over every night, but then how do we have it? We put them over. So it was uh, it was great to work with them. I wish we had. Well, I wish we could have worked with them more. You know. It seems crazy that you guys didn't do more together. Dog, please, come on, Chris. <laughs> you can't. You cannot, in any way, shape, or form, form, bring knowledge, any kind of knowledge, anything that makes sense when we're talking about WCW. You can't do that, bro. Mm-hmm. Don't do that. You you just hurt you just hurting yourself, you know. That's that's why you guys hightailed it out of there. You remember that? Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> I mean, well, because once again, like we said, I mean, even little things we laugh about it, but when when you know you and I are out there as professionals and we ask why is so and so coming down, they say, well, no reason. We'll think about it later. That's demoralizing as a as a pro. You're like, what the hell am I doing here? Well, yeah. They don't care about this. Why should I? Right, and we and and you don't want to give that impression, man. Mm-hmm. I'm not trying. When I say these things about about uh, uh, WCW, man, I was there for a long time. I was there before you. Oh yeah, for sure. And you know, it was like some of the stuff, dog. I could chronicle a whole book on some of the dysfunctionality that made no sense that people would just shake their heads. But I'm not that kind of person, you know. I bring it up in conversations like this. Some a few things that were some jogs my memory, but it's like. You just can't make sense out of something that doesn't make sense sometimes. And you ask yourself, why? I don't think nobody to this day will be able to tell you why, you know. But, you know, hey, the thing was, though, you know, like I tell people, brother, I had a lot of fun. I met a lot of great people. You know, we had good times. You know, we hey, we got out there and did our thing, man. You know, the Chris, the Chris Jericho's in the world, you know, you and Ralphus, that was beyond funny. <laughs> Well, that was beyond. That was beyond theater. That was beyond. You know, just like uh, that's tele- great television, great television, man. And 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 then nobody wants to put stock in it, brother. That's that's money. I, I, I don't know. I just never got that, bro. But like like I said, there's a lot of people calling their own shots and stuff of that nature, and man, it was what it was. I remember. Uh... Maybe not in the ring, but backstage, there was always great rivalries uh, as far as insults with with you and your brother against Eddie and Chavo. (laughs) 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 To to this day, uh, I still remember the term that you came up with for Eddie and his Tejano jeans. Only you would bring something like that up, bro. <laughs> you guys, yeah, Eddie wore these jeans that, like, we'll explain what, what exactly the Tejano jeans are. Do you remember? <laughs> they got the cut, you know, they got the cut on the side, you know? <laughs> you know, they got the little boot cut on the side, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and an elastic waistband. 
<laughs> I don't know. You still remember that stuff, man. <laughs> I can't forget it. I, the other day, as a matter of fact, a friend of mine, he, he wears suits all the time. And uh, he just happened to put on a pair of jeans. And I was like, look at those Tejano jeans. And he goes, Is that all you got for jeans? They're terrible. <laughs> oh, that's funny, man. Only in WCW would you even see something like that. You know what I'm saying? Well, yeah, right, right. Well, there's so many different, you know, there's the Mexicans there and there's the Japanese guys there. And the right. You know, I mean, they had so many guys at one point in time. I remember there's, I think, 150 people would show up for those tapings that we used to do in Orlando. Right. I mean, God, they just, just hired so many I guess, I guess we spent so much time around each other. Stuff like that is just bound to happen, you know? Well, yeah. You know, it's 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 your road family that you haven't, you know, you see more than your own family at times. <laughs> That's true. Oh, those Tejano jits. <laughs> the longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Did you ever work with uh, with Eddie at all? Did you guys have some matches? Yeah, yeah. We did work a couple of matches together, you know? And so did me and Chavo, you know? Mm -hmm. You know, we, you know we, those guys were, we were cool. I don't know. We were just cool with those because we were big fans of uh, Chavo Sr. Right. Okay. Yeah. We're big fans of Chavo Sr. You know what I'm saying? And we used to all, whenever he came around, me and my brother used to always mess with him, bro. You know, and we we see him in the dressing room, you know, and we'd be like, oh, no, here he is, ladies and gentlemen. He's here. He's here. The legend. The man who has held titles. All over the United States, ladies and gentlemen, he's here. Hector Guerrero. <laughs> We'd be like, what? oh, I'm sorry. Oh, oh, wait a minute. You Chavo? Oh, we're sorry, bro. You know. <laughs> so, so you know us, man. It was just like, uh, that was just, that's just a way of us telling you we love you, bro. You know what I'm saying? Oh, sure, sure. You know, just just thinking about when when we mentioned the TV title, did you do a lot of stuff as a singles? How far were did you go as as a singles guy? Because I remember obviously you're the TV champ because we worked for it. You know, my single stuff was on and off. You know what I'm saying? And the only reason uh, I was doing singles then because my brother was hurt. He had hurt his knee. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. And I was. They was kind of like turning me heel. You know who that. <laughs> It's it kind of hard for me to put my finger on anything. You know what I'm saying? It was then the next thing you know, I was in the NWO. Wow, that's right. You were in the NWO. So you know, I, I'm gonna be honest with you, Chris. I just kind of like went with the flow. Yeah, I'm just kind of like that. Like I tell people, I'm a I'm a team player, man. I just went with the flow, man. You know, it, it was what it was. You know, I think that was one of the problems with with WCW when they ask me. You know, when did it start going down and all this stuff? I think they made the NWO far too diluted. Yes. You know what I mean? They're just putting everybody in there for no, like Virgil's in the NWO and, you know, Mike Rotundo's in the NWO. And it's just over and over and over again. It's like, there's too many guys in this thing. Well, well that's what I'm saying. So much stuff wasn't thought out. Mm-hmm. Come on. And I don't know where that was coming from. I don't know if it was coming from when, uh, you know, Kevin Sullivan... To me, Kevin Sullivan was doing a great job. And I look at the booker as the guy that's the coach. Right. But I'm like, when you're catching it from so many sides that, okay, this guy doesn't want to do this. And this guy that came in, they paying him a zillion dollars. He don't want to do this. And this guy, like I remember when Brett came in, I thought I thought the, the best thing in the world for the company was Brett is going to work against Hogan. Or mm-hmm. Brett and Randy Savage are going to have a, I think, you know, capitalize off what happened in another organization. But all these things never happened. And I'm like, wow. You know, I remember when Savage first came in, me and my brother was working him and Sting in a tag match. Right. And the place, the roof blew off the place in center stage. I'm just like, 
this is back when we was getting big put. I mean, I was we were just starting to get a big push, and nobody thought anybody could. I mean, the fans was just like, uh, especially the fans in Atlanta, we couldn't do no wrong, and we were heels. And they would, it would be people standing out there in center stage for hours waiting to get in. You know, right? Did you work in center stage very much? I never did, man. We played a show there with Fozzie, and that was the first time I ever been there because when we uh, when I started, center stage was pretty much done. Yeah, it's pretty. You guys came in pretty much on the yeah night and stuff and all that stuff, right? Right, exactly. That's, That's what we would yeah. we would go more to the you know Dalton, Georgia, and those type places. Yeah, 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 yeah. When we was doing them everywhere else, yeah, you're right. But uh, yeah, man, this center stage, center stage was kind of like back when we were in global. When we got hot, every single solitary African American that could get in center stage came in to watch Harlem Heat. Oh wow! Yes. It got that it was cooking in there. Even even Jane Fonda and um Ted Turner came down once. Oh really? <laughs> yeah. And uh that's when we knew we were over as a Hill tag team. And the building was so loud of people rooting for Sting and and Macho Man Savage and the other half of the people rooting for Harlem Heat. It was electric, man. You know? And we did that match, and uh, some, I think somebody hit the ring that they had a beef with, and we retained our belts, you know, you know, one of those kind of gimmicks. But that's when Savage at first came down, and it was like, okay, you're in WCW now, and, you know, we get right in his face like, you don't run nothing down here, you know. And that was the persona of Harlem Heat, you know what I'm saying? We don't care who you are, brother. You got to fight tonight. And people in downtown Atlanta, they loved it. Now, I remember Paul Lundoff coming back through the stage and giving us the thumbs up, and that's when we knew, I think we can do something with this. That was the night that we knew we could do something with this. Interesting question that you just mentioned about how all the all the black dudes came in to see Harlem Heat. Did that make a big difference? Because I think when you're talking about African-Americans, that you guys are one of the biggest kind of breakthrough acts at that time frame. You know, I mean, I, I can't think of anybody else that was really as big as you guys were in, in either company. I'm sorry, what are you asking exactly? Well, I mean, did, did, did that add to the demographic? You mentioned like there was a lot of, of, of black dudes coming to see you guys. Oh, I think so. Yeah. I think so. Because everybody's into their heroes, man. That's just like in global, you know what I'm saying? Uh, the very people that, uh, and I told this in the uh, Hall of Fame, the very people that, you know, threw racial epithets at us when we first came in were the very people that was our biggest supporters a month later. The very people. And everybody wants to root for their heroes. Why do you think Canelo Alvarez is so big? You know? Yeah, great point. Why do you think why do you think uh Andrew Galata was so big in the Chicago area? Mm. That's where all the Polish people are. Oh, gotcha. Right. Right, right, right. You know? Why do you think uh uh Chris Jarrett well maybe that's <laughs> Maybe that's a stretch. You know <laughs> I got all the Canadians coming as my shows, man. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But a Canadian, a Canadian is going to root for a Canadian before he roots for an American. Mm-hmm. Just, you know? Yeah, just human nature, right? You become role I models. Mean, um, you become role models. You know, me and the boys, me and certain guys, we, we always talk about boxing in the dressing room. This was before you got there. And it'll be a, a, a few of us talking about boxing. Uh, and we have heated conversations about boxing, you know, in the uh, what we call in it, uh, center stage, the jabroni dressing room. So, see, so you had the millionaire's dressing room, then you had the jabroni dressing room. That's all the guy, the enhancement talent, <laughs> yeah. you know. And that's how it was, too. Everybody had their own dressing room, and then there'd be like your Savage's dressing room and Nash's <laughs> dressing room and Hogan. So, there'd be like one dressing room left for the rest of us. <laughs> so, me and I can't even remember who else would get into it. It was Pierce Watley, I think, sometimes. Uh, and then Chris Benoit would always go, "Hey, wait a minute, guys! You guys can't, re- you guys can't talk about uh, boxing without mentioning Willie Dewitt." Those two guys forget about Willie Dewitt, man. <laughs> Totally serious too, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. in, in his in his way, man, we were got man, get out of here talking about Willie Duet, man. You know, 
And only only the people that really knew boxing re- remembered who Willie DeWitt was, you know, and I was one of them, you know. Oh, I haven't heard that name in years. That's hilarious, man. Oh yeah, this is this is what we this is what we used to do, man. That's why it was so much fun, you know, with some of the guys, you know, like uh, you know, even when you came in, it was just like a nuclear of guys that just had fun around each other, you know. Yeah, exactly. we might ever get in the ring with each other, but we we just had fun with each. So even in the so me and my brother came up in the in the dressing room for all the jabronis dress, right? And we used to call, you know, Scott Demore would come down with all his guys. And uh, we would call them all the wild Canadians, you know? Right. Oh, they're here. Oh, well, there go my boy. Here go the wild Canadians, you know? <laughs> uh, <laughs> you went in, in that bunch. You came in later, but uh, Scott would bring down like six, seven guys, you know what I'm saying? Rhino was, Rhino was one of them at the time. Uh-huh. Uh, and, uh, oh, man, a whole, whole bunch of them. And... Me, my brother, the Wild Canadians, and some of the other enhancement guys to come up. You know, uh, Penza would bring them up from Florida. You know what I'm saying? So we just had a, our dressing room back in those days, Chris. I wish you could experience. It was like it was like when the teacher leaves the uh, classroom, mm-hmm. and everybody starts just. You know what I'm saying? Well, me and my brother thought every wrestling dressing room was like this in the country. We didn't know everybody. <laughs> We didn't know everybody was so somber and stayed to themselves. You know what I'm saying? Right. We're like, okay, let's start a party in here. You know, we all cracking on each other. You know what I'm saying? And stuff like that. And, uh, one thing I was, I asked uh, right now, I seen him this weekend. I said, hey, man, you still got that Letterman's jacket? And he go, Stevie, I do, man. I do. Because I, I will always get on him. You know, we just, I don't know, coming from where we grew up at in the African-American culture, I don't care if a guy got a million dollars in his back pocket. He is not above getting ranked on. You see what I'm saying? Sure, of course. That's just the way it is. So that's how we are, as you well know. Um, I said, well, we're everybody, you know? Yeah. We just look at at the guy, see what he got on. It just, you know, I I don't know. I got to say something about this. I got to spruce this up a little bit. You know what I'm saying? Something like that. And it's like, here we go. So we would all just be clowning each other and, uh, and you know, the, the Stings and uh, and the Lex Lugers and all those guys. they pass by the dressing room and be like, what the hell's going on in here? <laughs> you know? And yes. you go down to their dressing room, they all got snuff in their mouth, spitting, chewing tobacco and stuff like that, and playing cards. And it's quiet as a mouse. Well, man, who lives like that? I don't. I I don't come from that kind of culture, bro. You know, exactly. So, so when we start getting a push, now we were like the first ones in that dressing room to start getting a push, right? Mm-hmm. So, and the next thing you know, we got the belts on us. So we were still dressing. I'm show you how naive we were. I remember somebody came up to me. I can't remember who it was. It was one of the one of the uh, top guys at the time, and. He put me to the side and go, hey, man, why, did, why are you guys still dressing in that dressing room? Do you know I did not know what the hell he was talking about? Mm-hmm. It was almost offensive. You know, I'm trying to say to myself, what does that mean? Well, what did it mean? You're not one of them anymore. Oh, gotcha. You dig what I'm saying? Yeah. You're not one of them anymore, you know. But I never looked at, I never looked at status and people like that. I don't care. I don't care what I got or what the next person got. Brother, if you're my friend, you're my friend, bro. Of course. Exactly. Exactly. And do you know we never, ever, the only time I ever left, went into one of those other two dressing rooms where everybody else was, is when the match I was telling you about with Sting and Randy Macho Man Savage, and we went over the match in one of the other dressing rooms. That was the last, first and last time I've ever been in the dressing room because that dressing room wasn't for me. I'm in here with my boys, the wild Canadians, you know? (laughs) 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 <laughs> the wild yes. Canadians and the and the and the Mexican guy and the Mexican guys, you know what I'm saying? Right, right. It's like this is like my old neighborhood, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and uh, I remember we were doing a match with the uh, some of the Mexican guys when they first came in, and they didn't speak English very good. And then this is when Norman Smiley first came in. Were you there when Norman came in? Yeah. Or did he come in before yeah. you? No, I was there. Okay, when Norman came in, and I guess. 
he had been working in Mexico and he knew Spanish and me and my brother couldn't, I can't even remember the two guys we were working with, but it, uh, it was that group of guys that Conan used to bring up, you know? Yeah. Yeah. We, we needed a translator. And, uh, somebody said, uh, well, this guy speaks Spanish. I'm like, this guy, <laughs> it was Norman Smiley, you know, <laughs> I'm like, this guy speaks Spanish. So we get up, we going over the match and, trying to come up with, I don't know, some stuff to do. And I'm looking at him, and he's just sitting there with that English smile on his face, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, and I'm like, wait a minute, dog. I stopped there. But I said, wait a minute, bro. I, I, I stopped my brother and the two Mexicans. I stopped. I said, look, dog, I thought you said you speak Spanish. And he goes, yeah, I do. Well, I'm like, well, what the hell are you waiting on, brother? Start speaking it, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and you know what reminded me of that? You know what just reminded me of that? He just told me the story this past weekend. I hadn't heard it in I don't know twenty five years. And he just told he just told he said, "Remember that time?" And Bubba, oh, I said, "Oh, I forgot about that. That was so funny." But I was dead serious though. He couldn't do nothing. <laughs> I'm dead serious, man. You start. You must start speaking some Spanish in about two seconds. <laughs> and then we got the match together and everything, man. And he just thought that was so funny, man. I'm like, man, you speak Spanish when? <laughs> when do you speak it? When you're in Mexico? Oh my god! Uh, hey, man. As as we wind down here, I just want to talk a little bit of you as a as a color commentator. Uh, I thought you did a really great job uh, doing that. Did you Did you enjoy it? Did I enjoy doing uh, color? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm most definitely, man. It was. Uh, I see a lot of people don't know, man, that uh, I used to DJ in clubs and stuff like that. That's actually what I wanted to go to school for when mm. I got out of high school. I wanted to be in radio, and uh, then you know you kind of lo- lose interest and stuff like that. And and I in the dressing rooms, uh, me and my brother used to do commentary for the guys on the monitors. Really? You know, because the monitors didn't have sound. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. So we would do commentary. Uh, sometimes we do it together. Sometimes he do it. Sometimes I do it. You know what I'm saying? Just to entertain the guys, you know, to keep everybody from going to sleep before their matches came up. You know. <laughs> so, and I didn't know till like last year, year before, that Disco Inferno dropped my name to the office as they was looking for someone to do commentary hmm. uh, as a wrestler, and he dropped my name. I never knew this until last year, and Vince Russo got a hold of me to do commentary. I never forget it. I was in Salt Lake City, Utah, uh, with uh, Big T and doing the Holland Heat 2000 thing and Big Teddy. And they said I had to come to the office to do an audition. And I was like, oh, man, I wanted to go home. I've been on the road, you know. Mm-hmm. I come in. Then they said, no, we're going to do it tonight at the show. Okay, I go to the show. Well, it's the next night, maybe. I go to the show to do my audition there. Nothing. Nobody's telling me anything. Everybody's walking by me like I'm not even standing there. Then finally, I see Russo, and I run up to him, and I go, hey, man, I'm, I'm dressed with a nice tie on, and a, but they told me to wear a tie and a shirt and some pants. And uh, he's like, no, nah, man, we scrapped it. I was like saying to myself, thank God. And then he's like, no, you, we're just going to put you on the air. You start tonight. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> okay, another WCW folly here. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> So that's how the whole thing went down. So I started doing it. They was Ed Farrar was in my ear every. I had finally I had to go to him and say, "Look, dog, I can't do this with you in my ear. I have to be me. You know, I have to do give a little Stevie Ray, but give a little, you know, color. You know, at the same time, I said, I think I could do it. Just let me find my way. And he's like, okay. And once he did that, it worked out, man. But I loved it, man. Speaking of, you know, and like I'm, I'll tell you right now. My podcast is coming back, and for all you, all you podcasters out there, brother, I'm getting ready to blow everybody out the water. The world's most controversial podcast is coming back. What's it called? Well, I'm going to call it Straight Shooting with Stevie Ray. It used to be called Stand Up for Greatness. Okay, Straight Shooting. Straight Shooting with Stevie Ray, which was my radio show at the time I started doing my podcast. So that's why I didn't call it Straight Shooting with Stevie Ray, because I was still doing radio at the time. I'm not doing radio anymore. But I might be going back to radio. But Straight Shooting with Stevie Ray is coming back in podcast form. 
And I'm telling you right now, I'm looking for all podcasters, you included. Oh, jeez, man. <laughs> hey, you're, in, you're included. I told Bischoff this weekend, I'm looking for him. And uh, Conrad Thompson, I'm looking for him. I'm looking for all top heavy hitters. Hey, you better watch out, dude. I'm going to have Big Show come down and choke slam me for no apparent reason. <laughs> <laughs> last two questions for you uh what is a fruit booty for one what is what a fruit booty that's what you used to say on commentary you called guys uh, fruit booties hey do you know they wouldn't let me say fruit booty on the hall of fame speech really well let me do it why because they say it's making ref- it could sound like it's making reference to uh gay people or lgbq community or something like that oh i never okay <laughs> But I was trying to tell him, no, man, fruit booty is just a saying that me and a buddy of mine, a buddy of mine said it one day to me, you know? Yeah. And I just thought it was so funny. So between two or three of us, there's just a saying that we would say, I don't know, you know, just in conversation, my man, forget that fruit booty. You know what I'm saying? Something like that. <laughs> it's so you know? <laughs> you know, and then I started saying it on television. And people loved it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's great. (laughs) And uh, then I got to say, you know, you have to say a lot of other adjectives in front of it, but you end with fruit booty. You know what I'm saying? Right. (laughs) You no good for nothing unwilling fruit booty. You know what I'm saying? And everybody thought, all the boys thought it was so funny. And then the people started having fruit booty signs. And I was like, hey, this thing is really taking off. (laughs) (laughs) Did you make big t-shirts for it and everything? Fruit birdie merch? Oh, my gosh. But, but yeah, that's coming, man. Once I get the podcast up and going, man, and uh, I'm uh, going back in the podcast world, and uh, I'm going to be doing my podcast live on a daily basis. So I'm going to have to get I'm going to have to get you on there. I want to. I'm going to do it from eight to ten o'clock at night. Gotcha. That's great. Man. So it's going to be a podcast about, you know, a wrestler talking about different subjects, but you know, wrestling also. But I will. I also want to incorporate, uh, you know, boxing, football, you know, sports, and things of that nature. And I want to uh, have a call in line so people can call in and talk with me. And send in messaging the whole thing, man, and just make a big fun night of it every night. That sounds like a plan, dude. The last question for you, man. What's your favorite match that you've ever had? Well, I would say the one with you. <laughs> that was a great if match. I if I hadn't got choke slammed <laughs> for no reason. <laughs> well, I haven't got choke slammed for no reason, you know. That's right. but we had so many matches, man. You know, the thing I always remember is the first time we won the global tag team championship mm-hmm. title, because that was the first time that was the beginning, you know? Right. And the people in, in center stage just went nuts when we uh, got the titles. But after that, you know, as as Harlem heat goes, it would have to be the match between the Steiner brothers at that first Sturgis. Oh, Right. Where the people, we didn't realize it was set up like that because nobody has went out and saw it. And the fans were so angry at the income, outcome rather, that they just started throwing all kind of bottles and stuff at us, man. Hmm. And I was like, this is hell nuts, so brother. So it's like, okay, we did our jobs. You know what I'm saying? I still remember, we because up until that time, we hadn't had like a real signature match. You know what I'm saying? And I think that was our first signature match as as Harlem Heat. And uh, that's why I remember it. Some great stuff, man. But, dude, it's great talking to you. I'm glad we got a chance to, to catch up, and, and we'll look forward to to the podcast. And I'll, I'll be happy to do yours when you're ready to go. Hey, man, most definitely. I might be hitting you up for a little info on a few things and a little uh, information that you, you know, steer me in the right direction. So if you if you receive a text saying something, holler, you know, holler back at your boy. No problem, man. You're allowed to say fruit booty on my podcast whenever you want. <laughs> I wish you had been one of the writers this week, this past weekend, man. <laughs> hey, dude, thanks, man. I'll talk to you soon. Appreciate it, brother.
Congratulations again to Stevie Ray and Booker T. Harlem Heat's induction into the WWE Hall of Fame. And Stevie Ray has his YouTube channel back up and running. Just search Straight Shooting with Stevie Ray on YouTube. That's the name of his upcoming new podcast as well. He called me out. You heard that. Follow him on Twitter as well at Real Stevie Ray so you don't miss the podcast launch. And follow Chris Jericho's Rock and Wrestling Rager at C on the Twitter as well. Uh, it's Jericho underscore Cruise. It's at Jericho underscore Cruise. So you don't miss out on any important cruise info like how many cabins are left for part two. Let me tell you this, less than 200 out of over 1,000. I can tell you we're down, uh, we're getting over 80%, about 82% sold right now. So book your cabin at chrisjerichocruise.com and come join us when we set sail on January 20th, 2020. Ric Flair, guest of honor, doesn't get any bigger than that. NWO, Scott Hall, Kevin Nash, and X-Pac, Jake the Snake Roberts, Booker T doing his Hall of Fame podcast, Queen Charmel, MVP doing his one-man show, Most Valuable Prisoner, uh, comedian Brad Williams is the host of the cruise, Vicky Guerrero, special cruise director, and uh, her and Eddie's daughter, Shaw Guerrero, will be on the ship, and Shaw will be there with her uh, her, her, her go-go dancing troupe, her, uh, I always get this uh, wrong, what do you call it, the uh, burlesque troupe, the Vaudettes. They're amazing out of Chicago. Jack Slade, special cruise mascot, official keeper of the ice. Did a great uh, WrestleMania preview with him a few weeks ago. Eric Bischoff, Conrad Thompson doing 83 weeks live on the ship. Fozzie's going to be rocking you. Farewell to fear. Rubik's Cube, 80s cover band uh, extraordinaire. Killer Queen, the greatest female queen cover band. Dave Spivak Project is back. Jared James Nichols will be being there. Uh, Dark Sky Choir, we toured with them a few years ago. They're great. One of my favorite bands of all time from the 80s, Kick Axe, will be there. What a great rock and roll band they are. Go check out their On the Road to Rock video. You're going to love it uh, from about 1984, I think it was. Uh, AEW Wrestling, of course. They'll be taking care of the wrestling side of things. DDP will be there hosting more live DDP yoga workshops on the ship. Beyond the Darkness hosting more creepy paranormal events. Talent list uh, is huge, maybe even better than the first go to chrisjerichocruise.com book your cabin now ted irvin is going to be there my dad uh, he's super excited red cup jeff is going to be the bartender don't miss out on this it's going to be the vacation of a lifetime and don't miss out on fozzy and may a little mini tour getting out of the studio uh, may 15th in greenville south carolina at the firmament with nita strauss opening for us may 16th at greensboro north carolina at cone denim nita strauss also opening may 17th virginia beach at the lunatic luau uh, may 18th at the mmr barbecue in Camden, New Jersey at the BB&T Pavilion. Lots of great stuff coming up. July 12th, Mansfield, Ohio in incarceration. Uh, then, of course, September 14th, opening for Iron Maiden at the Bank of California Stadium in Los Angeles. Going to be huge. We love uh, playing live. It's been a while. It's one of the last tours we did. It was with Mr. Big, uh, Eric Martin, Billy Sheehan. Join us on Friday for a great uh, trip down rock and roll memory lane. Billy had some great stories about when he played with David Lee Roth and the Eat Him and Smile Band. And, of course, Eric Martin wrote the number one song, To Be With You. It's Mr. Big. Uh, we recorded that in Germany somewhere over the summer. Had a great conversation with those guys. So come join us have a safe week uh, be cool be strong stay hard stay stay hungry and a big yeah boy oh yeah fruit booty yeah.